Well, our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You can turn there in your Bibles. It's also printed in very tiny type um, in your bulletin. Uh, your eyes are not playing tricks on you. That's, that's like eight font or something. This past Monday night at our men's night, we watched the movie, There Will Be Blood, and it tells a story, it's a movie that tells a story of two men. Uh, One of them is a man named Daniel Plainview, uh, who is obsessed with finding and drilling for oil. Uh, He wants nothing more than to find oil, to get rich, to squash his competitors. Life for him really is about nothing but competition and winning. At the end of the day, life is, he's in it for himself. Life is all about him. Uh, the other main character in the movie is a man named Eli Sunday. He's a Pentecostal preacher. He's driven to build his church. He's driven to gather a flock. And the lives of these two men intersect on a dusty parcel of land in California in the early 1900s. Uh, two men. One of them's not religious at all. And the other one is a minister. And yet, as the movie unfolds, you begin to see that both of them are driven by a need for money, for power, for control. And both of them use religion for their own purposes. Uh, For the next two to three weeks, we're going to be looking at this portion of Scripture. It's a parable that's known as the parable of The prodigal son, you've probably heard of it before. It's the story of the wild living son uh, who leaves home, blows all his money, and then returns to the welcome embrace of his father. Uh, We call it the story of the prodigal son, but it's probably best known or would be better known as the story of the two lost sons. Uh, Because like Daniel Plainview and like Eli Sunday, while these two brothers are very different on the outside, they're amazingly alike on the inside. And at the end of the day, they're both lost, and they both need to come home. Uh, there's three main characters, I think, in the parable, the older brother, the younger brother, and the father. Uh, and we're going to take a week to look at each one of them, but today we're going to look at the younger brother. So, <clears throat> if you would, look with me at God's Word. <clears throat> Luke, 1, Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together... Her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And he said to them, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray for us. Father, would you meet with us now? And would you cause us to see your great love for lost things, for lost people? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into this, I need to give you just a little bit of background here. Verses 1 and 2 are really, I think, key to understanding this whole parable. Verse 1 tells us, Uh, that once again the tax collectors and the sinners are gathered around and they're listening to Jesus teach. Now, if you probably noticed over the course of our series looking at uh, the life and teaching of Jesus, that this is not unusual, that tax collectors and sinners are constantly gathering around Jesus. You remember the woman at the well, you remember Zacchaeus. Jesus is constantly hanging out with people from the wrong side of the tracks. He's constantly hanging out with people that the religious people said, you really shouldn't be with them. And here it is happening again. And the Pharisees and the scribes uh, are not happy about this. The scribes would be your Old Testament teachers. Uh, The Pharisees uh, would, would kind of be equivalent. They would be the leaders of the religious right. 
they were conservative. Uh, they were the family values people. They were moral. They did what they were supposed to do. Uh, they really were the popular party of the middle class. They were the ones who were resisting the corrupting influence of the pagan Roman Empire that had taken over Israel. And they don't get it. Why, Jesus, why are you hanging out with them? I mean, picture a, a lot of, uh, if Jesus came today and he was hanging out at the New Way or, or whatever local watering hole and, and the ministers gathering around and going, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be hanging out with those sorts of people. You shouldn't be seen there. And so even today as we kind of zoom in on the younger brother, I want you to remember that, that these stories are, are directed mainly at the heart of the Pharisees. Uh, and so think about that. Even as our application is primarily directed toward the younger brother today, think about that and what this is saying to the Pharisees. And we're going to look at that more next week. Jesus is talking to the younger brothers, but he's very pointedly talking to the older brothers in the crowd as well. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide this up into four scenes, uh, or four acts instead of four points. So scene number one uh, is, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Uh, we're told in verse 11 that the father had two sons, and that the younger son came to the father and said, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the property that's coming to me. Now, we kind of read that and go, okay. But you need to understand that the people listening to Jesus telling this would have been outraged. They couldn't believe, they, they would have been able to believe that this was happening. Because what the younger brother was essentially saying was, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. You just, you just didn't go and ask your father for your share of the estate before he had passed away. You waited until he was, had passed away and it was divided up. It would be like saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the property. I can't wait until you die. I want it right now. Now think about that for a minute. It's not like he was in poverty. Uh, he's living on his father's estate. He has access to the things that are his father's. He's taken care of. But what he wants is liberty and independence. Freedom and independence from the father he wants to be out from under the father's control he wants to be out from under uh, the father's authority he wants to be able to do his own thing and what he's saying very clearly is father i want your stuff but i don't want you i want your stuff but i don't want you now at this point the crowd really would have expected the father to backhand his son I mean, really, they would have expected him to drive him out of the room, probably beating him as he went, and just saying, get out of here. I've got no use for you, son, if that's the way you're going to treat me. But amazingly, and we'll probably look at this again, amazingly, he does what his son asks. He does what his son asks. Uh, he divides up the estate. And that wouldn't have been as easy as like, you know, going down and cashing out some CDs, taking some money out of savings, uh, selling some stock. No, he would have had to literally sell land, divide up his property in order to give his son the share, his share of the estate. But he does it. 
His son hadn't honored him. Uh, he's basically said, I wish you were dead. But he doesn't lash out. He simply divides up the estate and lets him go. And his son leaves. And he heads off for a far country. Now, <clears throat> in some way, this sounds sort of like the classic... You know, a kid turns 18 years old, ready to get out of the house. Uh, I'm tired of this one-stoplight town. I'm ready to see the world. I'm tired of uh, having a curfew. I'm tired of being under my father's roof. I'm tired of being under my father's rule. Uh, but uh, when, when, when this person gets away to college, you know, they still hold up the sign that says, Dad, send money uh, because I want to be out from under his rule but I still want his stuff. I want the Father's things. I want the Father to take care of me, but I don't want the Father. Now, once somebody has kind of done that, when, when you see somebody go prodigal, I don't know if we can say that, but when you, when, you, when you see somebody go prodigal, I mean, it's kind of obvious what's happened. But you don't always see it coming, do you? I, many of us look more like older brothers, and we'll talk more about older brothers next week, but we're still going through the motions. We do our duties. We do what we're supposed to do. We show up at church. We do the right things. We don't get in trouble. We believe the right things. But on the inside, our hearts are restless. Uh, They're bored. They're frustrated. They're rebellious. And the far country looks more and more appealing every day. We just can't say anything about it to anybody. And, and, but one day we just blow up and we go. And we go prodigal. Uh, and everybody's asking, what, what happened to, to them? I never would have expected them to, to do that. See, the far country is closer than you realize. The far country is closer than you realize. Uh, others of us may be in the, you might be in the far country right now because you've said, Whatever the Bible says, whatever religion says, that doesn't work for me. I'm I'm really, I just want to do my own thing. I'm tired of the oppression of organized religion. What's important for me is is my freedom. Freedom to make my own choices. Freedom not to have somebody else telling me what to do. I'm really the only one who can decide what's best for me, what's right and what's wrong. Now, What you need to understand is, whether you're in the far country, whether you're on the way to the far country, whether you're just thinking about the far country, what you're looking for there is life apart from God. What you're looking for in the far country is life apart from the Father. What you're looking for is a home other than the Father's house. And y'all, we're all a lot more like the younger brother than we want to admit. We want the Father's stuff. We want the Father's gifts. But we don't want the Father. We want Him to provide for us. But we don't want His authority. We don't want Him ruling over us. We can't stand the thought of somebody ruling over us. And those signs for the far, for, for the far country, uh, the, the ads in the magazines... The ads on the internet, the things you see on television. Uh, Vegas looks a lot better to us than we'd like to admit. Father, give me my stuff. 
let me be on my way. I wish you were dead. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Scene two. What happens in Vegas? What happens in Vegas? Uh, Verse 13 through 16 tell us that the younger brother hopped on the bus for the far country. He got there. He blew all his money. He ran out of food. And he takes a job taking care of pigs, which which had been unthinkable uh, for a Jew. And he's longing. He's so hungry. He's just longing to eat the pig feed. He's destitute. He's washed up. Uh, He's hungry. He's probably filled with shame. He's sitting here. I I wrecked my life. How how did I wind up here? Uh, Jean LaRue tells the story of growing up on the Gulf Coast about 50 miles from New Orleans. He said every year you'd see the people heading down for Mardi Gras. They'd seen the brochures. They were ready to go. Uh, they were on the way there. They were full of energy. They were excited. They were happy. They had the beads. They had the mask. They had the beer. They were heading for New Orleans. It was all a big party. But then he said, "You saw them on the way back. On the way back, they were in the back seat. They were tired. They were hungover. They were dirty. They were smelly. They'd run through all their money. See the 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 brochure for the for the far country." It left out the fine print which told you the cost for the far country. There was a cost involved in going to Mardi Gras. There was a cost involved in going to the far country. But that cost, that suffering, is always in the fine print. You don't see that in flashing lights. The far country looks attractive. And sometimes we say, I'll just go there for a little while. I'm just going to the far country for the weekend, and then then I'll be back. But what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. What happens in Vegas lingers. What happens in Vegas comes back with you. It stays with you. The prodigal didn't go down there expecting to burn through all his money. He didn't go down there expecting to wind up hungry. He didn't go down there expecting to feed pigs. He wasn't planning on any of this at all. He wasn't planning on it to turn out badly. He didn't read the fine print. See, when we go to the far country, we never expect it to wind up the way that it winds up. How did I get here? Feeding pigs and starving. This is not where I intended to go at all. How did it unravel so fast? How did I lose my family and everything that I hold so dear. How did I wind up alone in this hotel room? How did I wind up with this disease? How did I wind up here with a gun to my head? This is not where I expected to go. This is not where I was trying to go. See, the far country takes you to places you never thought you would be. Uh, The road goes... Uh, to places. It dumps you out in places you never thought you would go. And look, you, you could be in the far country right now and you're saying, wait, it's not that bad. doesn't seem that bad. Okay, just wait. Uh, because famine always comes to the far country. Vegas isn't all it's cracked up to be. And what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It stays with you. 
Scene three. Time to go home. Uh, Verse 17 tells us that the younger brother came to himself. He came to his senses. That's repentance language. Listen to 2 Timothy 2. Uh, Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses. He repented. He came to his senses. Uh, It's kind of like you were in the darkest cave and you've been wandering around there and you couldn't see anything. And suddenly somebody turned on the lights and you went, oh, this place makes complete sense to me now. See, repentance isn't just being sorry for your sin. It is that, but it's this entirely new way of seeing where the world suddenly, oh, I see how it really is supposed to work now. Uh, The younger brother uh, awakens to this new reality. He sees perhaps for the first time the emptiness of sin. And that's that's probably the one redeeming quality of sin uh, is that it always leaves you thirsty. It always leaves you hungry. It always leaves you with thirst you can't quench. You keep turning up the glass, but there's nothing there. There's nothing there. He sees the emptiness of his sin. The younger brother also begins to see the nature of his sin, that, that sin, that, that what he's really been running from is the father. Uh, in his book, The Prodigal God, which is a very short book by Tim Keller, I'd recommend it to you. He defines sin this way. Sin is running from God in order to get control of your life. Sin is running from God in order to get control of your life. The older brother ran from God by keeping the rules. We'll get back to him next week. Um, but he's probably most of us, but that's okay. Uh, we'll get, because we're in the South, and we are the Pharisees, okay? I'll just, I'll just say that. We are the Pharisees. Uh, the, the younger brother ran from God by keeping the rules. I mean, by breaking the rules. The older brother tried to run from God by keeping the rules. The younger brother tried to run from God and get control of his life by breaking the rules. And there's this realization here that he had to go back to the father. That the father was what he was running from all the time. That, um, that what he had actually been looking for in the far country, he can only find in the father's house. That the home he was looking for in the far country could only be found in the home of his father. Uh, Henry Nowen wrote a, a book about the prodigal son some years back, and he said this, leaving home is much more than a historical event bound to time and place. It's a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being, that God holds me safe in an eternal embrace, that I am indeed carved in the palm of God's hands and hidden in their shadows. Leaving home means ignoring the truth that God has fashioned me in secret, molded me in the depths of the earth, and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Leaving home is living as though I do not yet have a home and must look far and wide to find one. Home is the center of my being where I can hear that voice that says, You are my beloved, on you my favor rests. Listen to those last two sentences again. Leaving home is living as though I do not as yet have a home 
and must look far and wide to find one. Home is the center of my being where I can hear that voice that says, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. Y'all, when we make those journeys into the far country, and, and some of us go there frequently, what are we doing? We're, we're looking for a home. We're looking for, for love. We're looking for acceptance. We, we, we want to hear someone say, you're beautiful, you're successful. We strive after beauty and success and riches. We want to accomplish something. And in all of that, we're, we're trying to find home. We're trying to hear, you are my beloved and you, on you my favor rest. And we're anxious because hearing that voice has so many conditions, doesn't it? Because uh, if, if you're trying to say, I want to hear somebody say I'm beautiful, and so you're slaving after that, what happens when you put on a few pounds? What happens when that person whose affection you have to have, what happens when they break up with you? What happens when you lose that position of power? What happens when you fail at what you were trying to do? See, in all those situations, the world doesn't call you. They don't say, it's okay, you're still my beloved, do they? Does it? The world says at that point, you're a failure. You're fat. You're ugly. You stink. You're no good. And so you've given control of your life to these things, trying to hear the voice of love and acceptance. But these things don't love you at all. You're trying to find a home where there is no home. Uh, The prodigal realizes he's looking for home in the wrong place. And so he heads back to his father. Scene four. Celebrate good times. With a shout out to Cool and the gang. Um, Some of you, some of you uh, right now, uh, you... You feel this, um, you know, maybe you realize you're in the far country, that you know what you're trying to do is to find this voice of, of love and acceptance, but you're realizing the emptiness of it all. That it's, it, it's not, it doesn't taste anymore, it's not home. But what you're saying to yourself is there's no way he could take me back. There's no way he could take me back. There's no way after the mess that I've made in my life, there's no way. Uh, You feel this overwhelming shame. The Avid brothers said it this way, shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. Blame, please lift it off, please take it off, please make it stop. And that's all you feel there in the far country, and you can't figure the way out, I would simply point you to this text. Because the son knows he's got to go home. He knows that the father loves him. And one of the the reasons he knows that is because of the fact that the father didn't drive him away. And sometimes the best thing you can do for a person is simply to let him go. And, And he lets him go. He gives him his share of the estate. And so the son knows his father loves him, 
but he still doesn't quite get the elaborateness and the magnitude of his father's grace and compassion and love. Because what does he do? What's the speech he's rehearsing to say as he goes home? He's going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what he's planning to say to the father when he gets there. Uh, He's disgraced his family. He's disgraced the whole community. And the rabbis had taught him, look, you can't just go home and apologize. You've got to go home and make restitution. Uh, In the prodigal God, Keller writes that what the son intends to say is, Father, I know I don't have a right to come back into the family, but if you apprentice me to one of your hired men so I can learn a trade and earn a wage, then at least I can begin to pay off my debt. Make me like, I know I've sinned, make me like one of your hired men and let me pay off this debt. And so he begins to go home. This is what he's going to say to the father. And the father sees him at a distance. And he jumps off the front porch and he runs to him. And this would have been a shock to the people listening to the story as well because here's the head of the family. He had to pull up his robes in order to run and that was just disgraceful. You wouldn't run around like that. And you certainly wouldn't run back to this son and welcome him like this. The father shouldn't be humiliating himself in this way. Well, at least maybe he'll rebuke him when he gets there, right? But he doesn't do that either. He hugs him. He kisses him. The son, if you read the text, he starts giving his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. But he never gets around to the make me like one of your hired men part because the father cuts him off. The father looks at him and he basically says, shut up, I love you. Just, just quit. You don't have to be one of my hired men. You're my son. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to pay off the debt. I love you. Come home. Come home. You don't have to make it right. Then he tells his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. And the best robe would have been the father's robe, a sign to everybody that he had actually been welcomed and restored to the family. You're not going to earn your way back in. I'm going to provide for you and bring you back in to the family. He even tells the servants to kill the fattened calf. Now, meat was a delicacy. They didn't eat meat often, and they certainly didn't eat the fattened calf often. It was saved for special occasions, for big celebrations, and usually if they killed the fattened calf, that meant they were inviting the whole community to celebrate, to feast, to sing, to dance. Y'all, Christians should be, this is kind of an aside, but Christians really should be throwing the loudest parties. We should be the ones getting the police called on us. I mean, I mean really, does it, do we read the Bible? But these people were celebrating. They were celebrating the recovery of this lost son. And the fact that we don't is just more proof that we're elder brothers. Well, the message to the Pharisees who thought that they had it all together. The message of the Pharisees who thought that some people were just too far gone. The message to younger brothers who perhaps thought, they're right, I am too far gone, is that none of us are out of the reach of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. 
You know, some of us spend our whole lives uh, maybe on the periphery of the church, maybe in the church, maybe on the edge. But we can't escape this feeling that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that we need to do a little bit. I ought to be doing a little bit more. And what that does to us is that actually causes us to withdraw from God and to withdraw from his people. We, we, we pull away because of that. And what we say is, well, one day, one day when I get my act together, then I'll show up. Then I'll participate in the life of the body. But I can't participate like I am now. I'm not, uh, it's not fitting yet. I need to clean myself up more. And what this text tells us is that God's love and acceptance of you is not a response to your performance. Do you hear me on that? God's love and acceptance of you is not a response to your performance. God is not withholding his love from you, waiting for you to perform. He loves you because that's who he is. And it's in his nature to go after lost things. It's in his nature to go after and to welcome and to restore lost people. If you're the younger brother this morning, the message to you from the father is quit trying to find a home where there is no home. Quit trying to find a home in the far country and come home. Come and be welcomed by the Father. Come and be welcomed by the God who loves to love people who aren't lovely. Who loves to shower them with extravagant gifts. Who loves to throw parties, loud parties, with dancing for sinners. Come and be welcomed by Him. Let me pray for us. Father, oh, that we would believe this. God, we stand before you. Uh, we come here today and we try to put our best foot forward and, and we would tell everybody we're fine, but we know that the nature of our hearts, you know the way we look longingly at the far country at times. You know that we may be there right now. Father, would you break us there? Would you show us that there is no home there? And would you cause us to believe that you really are calling us home and that you really will welcome us and clothe us and shower us with your love and with your riches? Father, work this in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.